We'll open your Bibles to Luke 17 tonight. Luke chapter 17. You're going to be there, and you're also going to be in the book of the Revelation tonight. And I told you this morning that uh, I was going to try to connect uh, the passage that we that we were seeing in the in the foundation series in the book of Genesis to future revelation, information that we have in the in the New Testament. Before I go there, I I, I know as I, as I mentioned this morning, there there's just so much detail in in Genesis 38. If it's hard for you to get it all, believe it when I tell you this. It's it's as hard or maybe harder for me to uh, to not slow down and just grind through every single verse because there's just so much there. It is a challenge. Those of you who teach understand this. That um, you know, whenever whenever you uh, whenever you put a lesson together, it's kind of like whenever they make a movie. Uh, they shoot hours and hours and hours of film, but there's only about an hour and 45 minutes that, that makes it into the final cut, and it's difficult to figure out what to leave on the cutting floor and what to put in the film reel, okay? But the goal in, in, in everything that we're doing through this, through this life of, of, of Jacob, being seen through, through the eyes of, of, of Joseph and now, and now Judah, is to see the big picture, the, the, the redemptive thread, what the narrator wants us to understand, what Moses wants us to see, ultimately what the Holy Spirit wants us to see. And so I hope you, you walked away from this morning with, uh, with those, those three implications, that, that there are actually two human characters in the, that are very important in the, in the genealogy of, of Jacob. Everybody knows Joseph. Few people pick up on, on Judah. And I won't spoil the surprise if you don't already know it, but whenever you get to the very end of the story, just what you expect to happen doesn't happen. There's someone else who is exalted rather than, rather than Joseph. So there are two main characters. I hope you pick that up. And chapter 38 is the introduction of the, of the second character. I hope you, you, you picked up Joseph and Judah, and in both cases, God providentially guides their, their life for a greater purpose. Um, you couldn't get two, uh, two different extremes between the life of Joseph and the life of Judah. And they're both put up right up front at the beginning of the story. So, so they're fresh in our mind, so we see that as the rest of the story tracks along and brings everybody to Egypt and then beyond Egypt, leading us into the, into the, the, the time of, of Moses. God is definitely um, viewed, not just in Genesis, but as you read in the Psalms this morning, as you will, as I mentioned in the, in the Sermon of Stephen, you see His hand of providence and the Holy Spirit emphasizes God's hand of providence. I hope you picked up on, on Psalm 105, verse 16 this morning. It says, He, that's God, called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them. That's the children of, of Jacob. Joseph, who was sold as a slave. And, and I mean, the whole point is you're walking along. Yes, Decisions are being made and human beings are doing things, but God is overworking everything to bring about His, His, His purposes. It's, He's providentially orchestrating a greater plan in the life of, of Joseph in order to preserve Jacob. You see that in the life of Joseph. We said that when we look at Joseph, here's the obedient son and he pays the ultimate price for his obedience. He, he, he dies in Egypt. Yet he dies in faith. Then God turns everything around and shows that he can do the same thing with a disobedient son like Judah. I mean, Joseph was obedient, but Judah was far from it, right? He moves away from his brothers, he gets himself into quite a mess, and God still brings beauty out of ashes. Um, with Perez, the, 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 uh, one of the twins, and then ultimately the promise of the kingdom. The kingdom of Judah. Um, if you go to Israel today, you'll see lions everywhere. 
It's the national symbol. Um, it's because it's the Lion of Judah. It's, it's traced to Genesis 49, that, that blessing and that, and that, that promise. Um, at the end of the story, as I said, God turns the whole story in a direction that you wouldn't think. Um, you'll think that, that Joseph will be the chosen son, but it turns out to be someone else. Um, Joseph gets a double blessing, but one of the other brothers is, is exalted. And, and in Genesis 49, verses 8 through 12, God declares Judah's line will bring the kingdom and also the king. I didn't have time to, to go into it in detail this morning. We'll cover it whenever we get there. But the statement that, that Jacob makes is the scepter will not pass from Judah until, until Shiloh comes. It's, it's a, there's, a, there's discussion about what that means. I think it's very clear that it, the word Shiloh and, and the, the reference there is messianic. And, and Shiloh literally means the one to whom the scepter belongs. So the scepter is not going to pass from the line of Judah until the one to whom the scepter belongs comes. And that's where we're going to go tonight. We're going to see the one to whom the scepter belongs and we're going to look at his coming. It's a reference to kingship and, and dynasty. King David was from the tribe of Judah and his kingdom has no end because there is a greater David who, who was to come. And he has come. And he's coming again, isn't he? And when you think that, that what, what you see from, from Judah and what we know about Joseph, I mean, when you really stand back and look at it, it, it makes no human sense. I mean, Jacob makes no human sense. I mean... Clearly you have the, the declaration of God before Jacob and Esau are born. Jacob was chosen, Esau was not. And God wasn't caught by surprise of what you're seeing in Jacob's life right now, right? I mean, he knows that, that he's going to have to use Joseph to rescue the entire line, and yet he still makes that choice of, of, of Jacob. Judah um, is declaration made about he's the firstborn now, he gets the blessing, he's the one chosen for the kingdom. Does that make any sense? Joseph dies in Egypt, but by faith declares the exodus. And, and when you look on a human level, it doesn't make sense, but whenever you look at it from their perspective, it, it does, because all three, the point of the Jacob issue of Judah and Joseph, the point in all three cases is that, that every single one of them need God. Every single one of them, just like all of us, need God to, to bring about His, his promise. Um, so I hope you picked up the two characters. I also hope you picked up that whether your life is characterized as a Joseph or a Judah, that, or anywhere in between, that God can bring a set of twins out of it. He can bring a Perez out of it. He really can. Um, I mean, when... Woody and I were talking just before the service. I mean, when you really think about, about everyone who's in the genealogy and comes out of the line, I mean, you think of Solomon, right? The wisest man who ever lived. Wrote the book of Proverbs. How many of you read Proverbs on the day? Probably quite a few of you. Solomon is the product of David and Bathsheba. <laughs> Here, the, the, the line of promise comes through one of the twins who's not even the firstborn twin. It's the younger twin from, the, from Judah and Tamar. So don't look at your life and say, I haven't lived like Joseph, so why can't, you know, God can't use me. That's, that's not what He wants you to hear. He wants you to see, if you're like me, the Lord can, can use you. And I hope you also notice this morning that the people of God will be a people from all nations with the inclusion of, of Tamar and, and many others. You remember the promise that God made to Abraham? That Abraham would be the father of many nations. And here is the beginning of that, of that fulfillment. All the nations in Abraham would be blessed. Well, how can he be the father of many nations? Well, here's, here's one way. 
And how will all of the nations be blessed in Abraham? It's because salvation, yes, will come from the Jews. Jesus, the Messiah, will be from, from the, the genealogy of, of, of Abraham. But He's not just the God of the Jews. He's the God of, of all people. And Tamar's name is forever written in the genealogy of Jesus. Romans 11 talks about the Gentiles being grafted in. It's a greater fulfillment of, than Tamar's inclusion. But, but I don't think that she should be overlooked, especially when she shows up in the genealogy of Matthew. And I also think it's interesting in the genealogy of Matthew that while we read Genesis and think, man, Joseph is the, he's the big dog, he's the guy that you need to think about, it says, and Jacob begat Judah. <laughs> um, so tonight I want to, I want to take, it, take it to the New Testament, connect the promise given to Judah and the faith that Joseph has and see how both of those things connect for us in, in, in the church. We're like Judah in the sense that we wait for, by faith for a greater day. Joseph goes to Egypt and he never leaves Egypt, but, but Hebrews tells us that the declaration made about his life is, is by faith, at his death, he speaks about the Exodus, 400 years before it ever takes place, and he gives a he gives declaration or he, he gives a command about his bones. Don't leave him here, bury him in Canaan, because that's where we're going. Faith, trust in God. We, by faith, just like Joseph, wait for a greater day. We've tasted the goodness of God that comes through Jesus Christ, but we're here and we're not in heaven, so by faith we wait. And we wait for a day that, by faith, that is going to come that's directly connected to the promise that was given to Judah. That that day won't happen when we're with the Lord Jesus until the kingdom promised to Judah comes. And then the one to whom the scepter belongs will take it, and he will receive the title deed of the universe... And with the title deed of the universe, he will break the seals and the scrolls. He will pour out his judgment. It will be the time of Jacob's trouble. And the millennial kingdom will come. And we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. And then after that comes the culmination of, of all things. And in Luke 17, I think it's a really good place to go to, to see that. The faith of Joseph and the promise of the kingdom given to given to Judah. Luke seventeen verse verse twenty. It says, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, when you hear kingdom of God, I want you to think kingdom that was given by by promise to, to the line of Judah, not lion, but the lion. He answered and said to him, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is, is within you or in your midst. Then he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look here, look there. Do not go after them or follow them, for as... For as the lightning flashes out of one part under heaven, I'm sorry, for as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in His day. But first first He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Just a side note, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus believes that there was a literal Noah and a literal ark and a literal flood, doesn't he? He's using history here from Genesis to declare something. So, 
You don't have to believe Ken Ham. You don't have to believe me. But I do think you need to believe Jesus, right? Verse 28. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. He thought Lot was a real guy. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And that day, he was on the housetop, and his goods are in one house. Let him not come down and take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in the bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. Two men in the field. One will be taken and the other left. And they said, Where? Where will they be taken, Lord? And he said to them, Wherever the body is, the eagles will be gathered together reference to the judgment. So what's going on here? Well, Jesus has just got done healing the or cleansing the ten lepers. And the cleansing of lepers, healing of lepers, was a sign that the Messiah had come. The Old Testament clearly says that the Messiah will, will cleanse lepers. And so here in verse 20, the Pharisees ask, when will the kingdom of God come? They, they evidently understand. They, they, they vaguely make the, the connection. Okay? Jesus, guy running around doing what the Messiah is supposed to do. So where's the earthly kingdom? And he does not tell us when this took place, Luke doesn't. He just simply transitions to now having been questioned by the Pharisees and then Jesus gives this, gives this, this answer. The Pharisees here actually come, in, come to the Lord and demand of, of, of Christ the, the question. The word that's used here when, they, when he was asked by the Pharisees, it's a, it's a really strong word. It means to interrogate or to, to accost one with, with, with inquiry. And, and I'm assuming... With, with some level of, of sneer. The topic's not unrelated because of the, because of the leper cleansing that I just, just told you about. And Jesus' response to the Pharisees and what He tells to the disciples gives some clear insight into the kingdom that's coming. The, the kingdom that, that you're going to, to look forward to by faith. And it's far different from what from what they thought. So it's far different from what the Pharisees thought. And the disciples, even all the way up until Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven, they're still asking the question. They're still asking questions about the earthly kingdom. I think it would behoove us to pay attention to what he describes here. Right? In Acts, it's the last question that the disciples ask. Is it now? Is it time? And here the Pharisees are asking about time. When? When is the kingdom coming? When is the earthly kingdom going to come? And what you should hear is, when is the kingdom that was promised back to Judah, the scepter is not going to depart from him. When's that going to happen? And as you break this down, there are four characteristics that you can see here of the, of the coming of the, the Lion of Judah. The second coming of Christ, which is what we're talking about, not the rapture, this is the second coming, is recorded in, in all four Gospels. So that's, that's wonderful. We, we get to put Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, John together, and, and the Lord consistently records a number of things about His kingdom, about the coming of His kingdom. And, and there are these four unfailing characteristics. And the first characteristic that he gives is, is that the kingdom will come silently and spiritually before it comes before it becomes an earthly kingdom. It will come silently and spiritually before it it becomes an earthly kingdom. 
said, Pharisees ask, when? And Jesus basically says to them, you need to be more concerned about being a subject of the kingdom rather than a timekeeper of the kingdom. I mean, he almost answers the disciples the same way in Acts, right? It's not for you to be worried about the times or the seasons that the Father has set. Go be my witnesses. He's not telling the Pharisees to go be my witnesses because they're not even in the kingdom. He basically says to them, you need to be more concerned about getting in the kingdom, not when the kingdom is coming. And he says the kingdom of God, as he answers them and said in verse 20, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Literally, outward show. The kingdom of God does not come with, with outward show. That, not that there won't be any indications of His presence, because the Old Testament clearly says, look for these things for the Messiah coming. And that's what the Pharisees are doing, I think, with the, with the cleansing of the, of the lepers. All of the miracles of Jesus were because, yes, He was compassionate, but they were to testify that He was the, the coming one. He's the Messiah. And Jesus answers this question of when, and the first thing that He makes is the kingdom of God does not come with, with observation. It, it, it won't be the way that you're thinking that it's, it's going to come. Nor in verse 21 will they say, See here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is, is in your midst or it's within you. Depending on how you, how you take that. I think, the, I think that the, the point that I've made here is, is either one will work. It won't come where you can say, look, here it is, or there it is. It has no external show as other kingdoms have when it comes first. It will have a silent entrance without noise, except for the ones who are looking for it. The wrong perspective of the kingdom comes from the wrong perspective of the king. I mean, Israel missed the kingdom because they missed the king. They were looking for the wrong king. They didn't want to submit to the, to the king. They were like the fire marshal in, in a story from 1922. It says, For many years the U.S. vice presidents made their home in the Willard Hotel, and one night in 1922 a fire caused the evacuation of the hotel, and Vice President Calvin Coolidge started to return to his room, and the fire marshal stopped him. And the marshal let him proceed when the, when the vice president informed him that he was the, the vice president. And before Coolidge had gone more than a few steps, the fire marshal asked, what are you the vice president of? And he says, I'm the vice president of the United States. And so the fire marshal ordered Coolidge to get back with the rest of the crowd, saying, I thought you were the vice president of the hotel. You're going to go back out there with everybody else. Things have changed, haven't they? They thought Christ was the earthly leader of the, of the hotel. <laughs> and when he didn't meet the bill, they rejected him, failing to recognize that he was, he was one who was much greater. I mean, they were looking for Judas of Maccabees. They were looking for an earthly ruler that was going to overthrow the Romans. They wanted the kingdom to come in observation with earthly show and power. And Jesus said, that's, that's not the way I've come the first time. And they missed the kingdom because they, they were looking for the wrong king. And God even sent John the Baptist in the spirit of Elijah to prepare them for the coming of the, of the king. And while the Pharisees were overlooking the first coming, Jesus then says to His disciples, when the earthly rain does come, men won't have to ask when, they will know. Look at verse 22. He said to his disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look here or look there. Do not go after them. For as lightning that flashes out of one part under the heaven shines to the other part, so also the 
the Son of Man will be in, in His day. The second characteristic He gives here is the, is the coming of the, of the Lion of, of Judah. When the kingdom does come on earth, it will be, it will be unmistakable. It will be unmistakable. Jesus describes here His second coming and He uses the illustration of lightning. He says to them, when they're saying, look here, look there, don't go after them, don't follow them. Why? Because when the Son of Man comes in His day, it's going to be like lightning. It's going to go from one side of heaven to the other. He's saying, you're not going to be able to miss it whenever the King comes the second time. The reference to His day in verse 24 is the, is the Son of Man's day. That's a reference that tells us the event that we're talking about. The Son of Man was an Old Testament reference to the, to the Messiah and it was directly connected to His earthly reign. Jesus uses the title of Himself in Matthew 8.20. Jesus said in Matthew 8.20, Foxes have holes in the... Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to, to lay His head. It's first used for the Messiah in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Listen to Daniel chapter 7. So I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought Him near before Him. Then to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. And His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and His kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Well, that's full of all of this language that we're hearing that's going to be traced through the foundation series that begins with with the scepter that's not going to depart from Judah, and then it's going to give the Davidic covenant, and he's going to promise a kingdom to David, which is not going to pass away. And then here Daniel picks it up. The Son of Man is going to come before the Ancient of Days, God the Father, and He is going to give Him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and all languages should serve Him. He is the King. And His dominion is going to be an everlasting dominion. And Daniel ends that vision with this, And I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. Now, why would that trouble Daniel? Now, here's hundreds of years before Christ ever comes the first time. Daniel receives a vision from God. The Son of Man because of His work on the cross, will receive from the Ancient of Days a transfer of ownership and of authority. The Ancient of Days is God the Father as judge and the rightful owner of all of the universe. And Daniel 7.10 describes His, his position. It's a stunning show of the activity of the Trinity, like in Daniel. Where the Father will give to Christ dominion, glory, and kingdom and that all peoples and nations should serve Him. He will be preeminent in heaven. You don't love Jesus now, you don't like Jesus now, you're not going to like heaven. He is the one that heaven is, is all about. He's handed over the authority to judge and the right to rule the earth. And all of that's given to the, to the Son. And when that day happens, Jesus says here, you're not going to have to miss it. Nobody's going to have to tell you, hey, did you hear what's happening? There's a, there's a guy that is over in the Middle East and he's healing lepers and he's raising people from the dead. You probably ought to turn CNN on and watch him. You need to learn some more about this guy. Jesus says, the first time I'm coming, the kingdom is going to be right in your midst and there are people who are going to miss it. But when the Son of Man comes, it's going to be like lightning. The third unfailing characteristic about the coming of the Son of Man is that it, the Lion of, of Judah is going to come suddenly and unexpectedly. 
but not without previous warning. He's going to come suddenly. He's going to come unexpectedly. But that's not because He didn't warn people. There's not a single person ever born, not a single person that's ever lived on any part of the globe. There's not a single person in that category that ever will live that will ever be able to stand before God and say, I have an excuse. You didn't tell me. Because Romans 1 tells us that creation is even a a witness. You know that little thing that everybody tries to deny, right? Look, if you would, at verses 25 and 26. So also the Son of Man will be in His day. What is His day? His day is the day that's described in Daniel 7 and in another reference in Revelation that I'll take you to at the end. But first, first coming... First, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. The kingdom will be right in the midst of this generation. It will come silently before it will become earthly. But when it comes the second time, it will come suddenly and unexpectedly. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. Look at verse 28. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, verse 30, even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Perusia, when the Son of Man is exposed, when He comes in, in all of His splendor and His glory like lightning. And he, he uses two previous events, both from Genesis, to describe the nature of the earth when He returns. Just as it happens, just as it happened, so it will be. Just as it happened in the past in these two historical events, so it will be in the future when the Son of Man comes in His day. Luke identifies again what we're talking about, the day of the Son of Man, which is the second coming, not the calling out of Christ's church. He uses Noah and the destruction of Sodom. And the Lord says, you have been warned by what I've already done that I will do it again, yet in a greater way. And just as I warned them, so I'm warning you now before before it comes. So what was going on in the days of Noah and in the days of, of Lot? Look at verse 27. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. They ate, they traveled, they watched TV, they went to work, they held down jobs. They went about daily activities. That's what he's trying to say. Common, ordinary activities will be taking place that both represent short-term and long-term planning. Eating and drinking, daily activities. You do that every day. They were marrying and giving in marriage. That's long-term planning. Living like everything is fine and oblivious. And then the net will will be drawn. Same thing in the days of law. Look at verse 28. Likewise, It will also be in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day Lot went out of Sodom. I found it interesting. There is no no biblical link here. But the two examples that Jesus gives here between Noah and Lot, think of Noah. He was righteous before the Lord. And think of Lot. You think of Lot as a really righteous guy? No, we have to be told that he's even he even made it because he's such a rascal. And I started thinking of Joseph and Judah. I mean, Joseph is like Noah. Judah is like Lot. And the flood came and it rained fire and destroyed them all. Just when Noah entered the ark and when Lot went out of 
Sodom. And verse 30, it says, Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Unexpectedly, suddenly, they're going to be going about regular events. Even the term revealed has this idea of immediate appearing. Here, the indifferent multitudes are described as following, failing to heed God's warning of coming judgment, just like in the days when it overtook them. It will be the same when He comes again the next time. And when He comes, judgment comes with Him first. That's the fourth characteristic. When a Son of Man comes on the earth, when the kingdom comes, it will bring judgment. And it will bring a division. There will be a separation that's going to take place. Verse 34. As I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed and one will be taken and the other left. Two women grinding together, one will be taken, the other, the other left. And just so you don't miss whether you want to be taken or whether you want to be left, you want to be left. Verse 37, they answered, Where, Lord, where are they taken? And he says, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be, will be gathered together. They'll be taken in judgment. One taken away into judgment like in the days of Noah when the flood came. One enters into the millennial kingdom. One is judged. One enters the kingdom. And I know we're here tonight and we don't have any illusions of this as a church nor has it ever been an issue with, within our congregation, but if you just happen to be here and you're under the impression in any way that in the end everyone will be saved, you need to listen to this passage because not everyone will be saved in the end. God is... It's loving you, that pleading with you that you might be saved, but at the judgment there will be a separation. And one will be taken away in judgment and the other one will, will be left. So there are the characteristics that, that Jesus gives. Now I want you to turn over to Revelation 5 and I'm going to end here because it's so pivotal and it's another picture of what Jesus just described here, but in greater detail. So you get the promise in Genesis from Jacob to Judah that the scepter is not going to pass from the line of, of Judah. There's going to be a king that's going to come from him. The kingship and the kingdom is going to come through Judah. Then you have the Pharisees asking when the kingdom is going to come and Jesus describing the characteristics of what the kingdom is going to look like. Now we're going to be transported into the throne room of God Himself and see a picture there about this exact same event that's described in Daniel, in Daniel 7. Verse 1 of, of chapter 5. It says, And I saw in the right hand of Him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy? How long was Judah to have the scepter? To the one who was worthy to wield it would come. Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose the seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look at it. Not Joseph, not Jacob, not Abraham, not Noah, not anybody before them, not David, not anybody after them. No one is able. Not Paul, not any of the disciples, not you, not me, not, not the Pope, not anyone. No one in heaven or on the earth, or under the earth. No one already in heaven, no one alive right now, and no one who's, ever, who's already died. <laughs> he covers everyone. No one. No living or dead or anyone who's ever been existing is able to 
receive the scroll and look at it. So I wept much, for no one was worthy, was found worthy to open and read the scroll. But one of the elders, one of the twenty-four elders in heaven, said to me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose the seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, coming up from out of the throne, between the the figure appearing beside the the image of the figure on the throne and, and of the four living creatures in the midst of the elders, I see a figure, and the figure, as I begin to look and make it out, is one stood was a lamb, as if he'd been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out of the earth. And he came, and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat upon the throne. That is shouting ground passage there, I'm telling you. It is a picture of what Daniel references and what Jesus was talking about. The scene follows a great stir in heaven in chapter 4. There, at the end of chapter 4, you have the, the worship of the 24 elders taking place and everyone singing a hymn in heaven, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whether the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits upon the throne, who lives forever, and the twenty-four elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne, and you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist. It's created. They recognize what is about to take place. The same thing that you find in Daniel. This is the moment all Christians are waiting for and the entire creation groans for. It's the beginning of the final redemption. Forthcoming in the moment when the Lamb will receive the kingdom of the earth deeded to Him on the basis of His work of redemption. That's why He's pictured as the lion of the tribe of Judah, but he's, he appears before the throne as a lamb who is slain. He has the right because he is worthy. He alone is righteous and he's earned the right because he has purchased them with his blood. He purchased the right and he comes and he takes the scroll. In verse 1, you see the Ancient of Days. Verse 1, the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And he asks, through the angel who's worthy. The scroll in the Father's hand is the title deed to the earth. And John weeps because no one is, is found worthy to, to receive it. Think of it like the scepter. He's weeping because he recognizes what that means. Why, why is, is John weeping here? Because it means all of the earth will remain under the curse of Adam. It means there's no redemption for the earth, no redemption for, for man, no culmination. Here is God the Creator with the deed and the dominion granted to Adam in the beginning and he, he failed plunging the whole earth into corruption and God with open hand, the angel declares, who is worthy to take it? Who is able to stand? Whoever it is must be able to restore it. Whoever it is must be able to solve the problem that goes along with this title deed. When you, when you purchase a house, you have a home inspection. So there's no surprises, right? And sometimes you buy a house or car, and the title is stamped salvaged, right? 
we have a salvage title, don't we? <laughs> There's a lot of issues with the earth. Whoever takes this deed has to, has to be able to deal with whatever they find to go along with it. They must be able to redeem it, must be able to pay for it, must be perfect and righteous, and no one was found. And in this beautiful narrative, the way that he weaves this, weaves this together, it's but wait. Who's that rising from between the elders and the throne? It is, as it were, a lamb slain. And the same one that John the Baptist pointed out when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. The elders say, Behold, He's the line of the tribe of Judah and He's prevailed. He is worthy and all of heaven worships Him. But the first Adam lost, the second Adam came and reclaimed. He's worthy to receive it, and heaven is overflowing with anticipation. He rises from his position at the right hand of the Father and now begins to prepare the earth for his coming by loosing the seals of judgment and beginning the time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation. Look at verse 8. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four and living creatures and twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scrolls, to open its seals. For you were slain, and you've redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, living creatures, elders, numbered 10,000 times 10,000, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and blessing in every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth such that they're in the sea, and all of them said, I heard them saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to Him who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And then the four and living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped Him who lives forever and ever. And look at chapter 6 of verse 1. He gets the deed. Heaven is filled with praise and excitement. And now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked and behold, judgment. With the right earned, with the deed in his hand, he begins to unfurl the scroll and prepare the earth for his coming. And all of the seals are judgments to prepare Israel for His coming, and the trumpets and the bowls are His wrath coming on the unbelieving world. And He breaks each one of the six. And in Revelation 8, 1, before the seventh seal is broken, which unfolds the scroll fully, there is silence in heaven. For half an hour. And that is heart stopping. Heaven is never silent. It's never silent in heaven, ever. And the worship of God stops, and heaven is silent because He knows what's getting ready to happen on the earth. The full, fierce, undiluted wrath of Almighty God going to be poured out on the people who are eating and drinking and marrying and are given in marriage and going about their day debating creationists, pretending that it never happened, scoffing at all of the previous warnings. And after that takes place, the one having the deed, opening the seals, as the rightful owner comes 
for His kingdom. And He has made us kings and priests. Where will you be on that day? When the kingdom comes. When the king comes. You'll be ruling and reigning with Him. Luke says, Those who are gods will be gathered unto Him, and the wicked will be cast into outer darkness. Matthew says in Matthew thirteen forty nine through 50 So it will be at the end of the age, the angel will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? And they said to Him, Yes, Lord. And the sad thing is, I know that some people don't understand these things and they're headed for the day unprepared and they're going to be overtaken. You should not be overtaken by that day. And until the day that Noah entered the ark and until the day that Lot leaves Sodom, there is still hope, isn't there? There's hope in Jesus. And you have the message that can transform their life. You have the message that if proclaimed, the Spirit of God has what He needs to open the eyes of the blind, to heal the spiritual lepers, so that they will be as kings and priests ruling with us in the kingdom rather than than outside. And Luke ends all of that with remember Lot's wife. He who desires to save his life or seeks to save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Lose your life now and you'll keep it eternally. Love your life now and you'll lose it for all eternity.